text that Handel had in mind when he wrote that great anthem, Zadok the priest. And Nathan the prophet anointed Solomon king. So this story is all about the succession. Who was to succeed David as king over Israel and Judah? Now, accustomed as we are to these things, we might say, well, surely the firstborn son, that's called primogenitor. But that hadn't been established. If you remember, Saul, the first king, was chosen by God and anointed by Samuel. And when Saul went astray, Samuel was sent along to choose one of the sons of Jesse. And they all came before him. But in fact, he chose the youngest, David. And he, of course, became a great king, making Jerusalem his, captive, cat, um, his um, capital and reigning there. But David um, was a man who liked his wives. Um, in fact, as far as we know from the Old Testament, he had at least eight and others whose names we don't in fact know. And as well as those, he had concubines and more than 20 sons. So as we've already noticed, there was quite a lot of rivalry going on. Amnon was dead. Absalom had rebelled and had been killed. But that left many others, the next in line, of course, being Adonijah. But in a verse that's not actually recorded, David had promised that Solomon would be king. And yet there was Adonijah saying, I will be king. David, too old and frail to do much about it. The problem of who was to succeed and, of course, we remember the way in which Elizabeth became our queen. We remember, perhaps, that after George V died, the next in line was the man who became Edward VIII in 1936. Edward was a single man who'd already had affairs with several married women, and shortly after he became king, he announced his intention to marry an American lady, Wallace Simpson, who had already been divorced and was now in the process, although it hadn't yet happened, of divorcing her second husband. The nation didn't take too kindly to the idea. Stanley Baldwin, the Prime Minister and the Archbishop of Canterbury, went along to Edward and say, don't do this, because if you do, the government will resign. And so he saw sense and abdicated in the end of the year. And Albert, his brother, became George VI. And Edward went off and married Wallace Simpson. George was a great king during the Second World War, a great leader of the nation. And he had daughters, Elizabeth and Margaret, but he was a very heavy smoker and suffered ill health. 
And finally, he died in 1952 at the relatively young age of, 1950, of, of, of 56. And so Elizabeth became, became queen then and has ruled for 70 years since. But if you think about it, if Edward hadn't married Wallace and remained king, he in fact died in 1972. So we'd be celebrating the Queen's 50th rather than uh, 70th anniversary. And if her father, George, hadn't had poor health and he'd lived into his 90s, he might have lived for another 40 years and perhaps died um, in 1992. We don't know, do we? And yet the circumstances were such that Elizabeth became queen. So what are the circumstances by which Solomon became king? I'm not saying there was a direct comparison at all, and I'm certainly not casting any aspersions on the way Elizabeth became queen, not at all. But it was complicated, and it was complicated in Solomon's case as well. We've read and I've narrated the account of how it happened. Nathan was the key individual and he was very much God's messenger to David. Remember it was he who had confronted David when David had taken Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, and had Uriah killed in battle so that he could marry her. The first child died and then Solomon was born. And it was Nathan who confronted David with his sin. On another occasion, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. But Dave, Nathan said, no, David, you're a man of battle. You're not the one to do it, but your son will do it. In fact, David made preparations for Solomon to do so. And it was Nathan who brought God's promise to David um, that we find in 2 Samuel chapter 7, that the Lord would establish the throne of your son's kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And it was Nathan who got wind of the way um, in which Adonijah had proclaimed himself king outside Jerusalem and shared with Bathsheba and asked what were they going to do and enrolled also the support of the high priest Zadok and the commander of the king's royal bodyguard, Benaiah. They were not, in a sense, plotting together themselves. It was Adonijah who'd plotted and he hadn't brought them in on it at all. But Nathan saw what the right thing was to do. And he set about doing it in a way that displayed much wisdom, as we've said. Bathsheba went in first and told David that Anijah had proclaimed himself king. Then Nathan came along and supported the mouth, as it were, of two witnesses. And this did rouse David. And he knew 
that he must do the right thing. Solomon must become king. And so he gave Nathan and Zadok permission. And the priest, Zadok, and the prophet, Nathan, anointed Solomon the king. It's interesting, isn't it, that nowhere in this particular narrative is the Lord God ever said to direct the proceedings. He didn't tell Nathan to see what was happening with Adonijah. He didn't tell Nathan what he must do. It doesn't say that he moved David's heart to listen to Nathan and Bathsheba and to proclaim Solomon king. It doesn't even say at that point that this was God's will. Although, of course, the people very rapidly um, proclaimed that it was um, as this was announced. And in fact, David said, May your gods make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And David said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. Whether it's great matters of state in Israel and Judah, or the ordinary life of the ordinary person, we realize that it's the Lord's hands that determines these things. It was the Lord who promised through Nathan to David that there would always be one on his throne. And it was the Lord through Nathan and Zadok and their wisdom, their common sense, their fearlessness that determined um, that this would happen. And so it did. And so it was that kings from then on reigned over Israel and Judah. More of that in a moment. Although, of course, we have to note, don't we, that there's something of an enigma about Solomon. We're told, first of all, that he prayed to the Lord for a great gift, but not riches, rather wisdom, and the Lord granted it to him. We read also that as he was appointed by his father, he built a magnificent temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. But we also read, sadly, very sadly indeed, that Solomon, unlike his father, was not content with eight wives. No, we're told that Solomon took 700 wives and 300 concubines. And we read that those wives who were all foreign royalty, starting with the first one, who was Pharaoh's daughter, led Solomon's heart astray. And when Solomon finally passed away, his son Rehoboam, who was to succeed on the throne, told the people when they came, I will rule you with a rod of iron. And Jeroboam rebelled with the ten northern tribes, became Israel, 
Rehoboam was left with the two, Judah. And I think it's not inappropriate as we think about our Queen Elizabeth. Some of the sufferings that she's had to endure with her family. I've mentioned Edward VIII and his affair with Wallace Simpson and other people so that he stood down with the throne. The government threatened to resign if he didn't. But wind forward to today and we find Charles married to Diana having an affair with Camilla, herself a divorcee, divorcing Diana, who sadly died, and then marrying Camilla. Now, I would be the last to say that Charles shouldn't be king, of course. But it takes our mind, doesn't it, between the years 1937 and when Charles becomes king, and it illustrates the change of attitude in our country. I'm not pontificating about that. I'm just observing the change. And then we think of the goings-on of other members of the royal family. We needn't mention them too much, but Anne was divorced. Andrew, we know all about him. Harry has gone off to America I admire Elizabeth because throughout all this, she has maintained her own dignity. She referred to one year as an Annas Horobilis, didn't she, when, when the castle nearly burnt down as well. How do we discern God's ruling in the affairs of our country? How we discern all the changes that have taken place in the 70 years. How do we discern all the changes in the influence of Christians in the land and all the changes in the laws that there have been over that period of time? And the huge decrease in the number of practicing Christians. But are we to say, therefore, that somehow the Lord has lost control? We can never say that. He is the king. He is the Lord of glory. He did ensure that Solomon, his son, that David's son should be king and that the promise would continue despite the grievous faults in the people who were involved. Subsequently, of course, coming to the point in 587 BC when Israel, already having been conquered sometime before, Judah was also taken into exile. But do the Lord's promises ever fail? Well, we know the answer to that question, don't we? The Lord had promised that a son in David's line would rule over his people. There was a period of over 500 years when people might well have wondered and they thought, when is God going to anoint a new king? 
over Israel. The expectation for a Messiah grew. Messiah means the Lord's anointed. And so we know, don't we, that there was one who was born as a son of David. As it says in Matthew chapter 2, one born to be the king of the Jews. I'm talking about Jesus, of course, and you know that he came to be king. He came to be saviour. And now he is indeed God's anointed king. But you remember who the main participants were in the succession of Solomon. There was Nathan, the prophet, who had frequently advised um, David. A prophet, a man receives a word from the Lord and then speaks it fearlessly and appropriately. Sometimes, but not mainly, foretelling the future, but rather forthtelling God's word. In many ways, it was the prophets who shaped Israel, beginning with Moses and Samuel and Nathan and Elijah, and Elisha, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and the others. They were the ones who brought the word of the Lord. But then in addition to the prophet being at the center here, there was the priest, in this case the high priest Zadok. The role of the priest was to offer sacrifices, prayers, and praises to God on behalf of the people as had been um, revealed through Moses and as Aaron, his brother, became the first of those priests. And in the great temple that Solomon built on the site of where the original portable one had temporarily taken residence, then that's where the sacrifices were offered. The priest then, the one who functioned on behalf of God before the people and of course, the king himself, the one who ruled over the people. But in Israel, compared with all the other nations of the Middle East, he ruled as God's representative. He didn't have the right to be an absolute dictator. He had to follow God's laws and God's ways. If he tried to usurp the role of priest by going into the temple, then like more than one king of Israel, he endured the wrath of God for doing so. And he wasn't above the prophets. They spoke to him about whether or not he was doing God's will. But what about the promised king who would take his place as ruler of God's people? What about Jesus in him, all these three roles are fulfilled, aren't they? He's king. Yes, indeed. He rules over his people and over his church. God has enthroned him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. He is a prophet uh, when 
Speaking of Moses in Deuteronomy 18, the promise was given, another prophet will arise like Moses. The New Testament doesn't have quite so much to say about Jesus as a prophet, although the people, when they heard Jesus speaking, said, isn't this the prophet? Because he was bringing the words of God to them. But we know how Jesus is a prophet. He's not only the messenger of God, he is himself the message. The gospel is not simply about Jesus. The good news is Jesus. But Jesus commissioned, didn't he, men, the apostles, having completed his own preaching, to spread the word themselves. Jesus, Jesus is our great prophet bringing God's word of salvation to us. And of course, he is our priest, the great theme of the message of Hebrews. He offered himself as a priest, as a sacrifice for our sins. And now as our great high priest, he intercedes for us in heaven. It seems to me that the pattern we find in 1 Kings chapter 1, of the coronation of David, is the pattern of the one who was to come, Jesus, bringing together the great roles that we saw of Nathan, Zadok, and Solomon in the person of Jesus. Jesus, of course, said, my kingdom is not of this world. Since 587 BC, there has not been an earthly kingdom ruled by a son of David, and there never will be again. The rule of Jesus is over all his people, not a kingdom of this world, though of course his followers are found here, but a kingdom not of this world, not ruled over in a city like Jerusalem, with a temple, but rather ruled by Jesus from heaven, who will, of course, one day come to take us all to himself. So are we, as it were, amongst the crowd in Jerusalem who shouted out, God save the king, long live the king, may the king live forever. In fact, it wasn't very far away, and you can read this in the end of the chapter, that Adonijah and his guests heard this great noise going on just outside Jerusalem, several hundred meters away, and said, what's going on? And um, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, came along, and they said, oh, you've got some good news for us. No, he said, no, David has made Solomon king. Nathan and Benaiah and all of them have brought him on the king's donkey, the king's mule rather, and anointed him king. And at this, of course, all, all um, Adonijah's guests were terrified. And Adonijah himself ran into the, tab the, the, the tabernacle and took hold of the horns of the altar as a place of refuge. Solomon banished him and Abiathar, warning him 
to be on good behavior. Sadly, as we'll read in the next chapter, Adonijah still had ambition. And he decided he would take the young woman who'd kept David warm as his wife. A clear claim to the throne. Solomon put him to death. But we have that solemn responsibility, don't we? To take Jesus as our king. To proclaim him. To recognize him as the one who is our priest and our prophet. And not only as individuals. The great emphasis of this past passage is that Solomon ruled over the nation along with the priest who offered sacrifices for the sins of the people and the prophet who brought God's word to them. Sometimes I think we can be a bit too individualistic as Christians. And we're here this morning, amongst other things, to come to the Lord's table in the presence of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. We hear God's word to us that Paul had heard and now passes on. And we break bread together to know that our high priest has given himself for us and now in heaven intercedes for us. Nathan the priest and Zadok the prophet anointed Solomon king. Let's sing together again. Um, 